Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, prenatal focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is a midwife in training and a brand new mom returning to share the rest of her pregnancy and labor journey. Kaylee Harrigan, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. I think we're just talking about how my life is about the same as it was last time we talked. Yeah. And mine is significantly different. Yours is significantly different. Congratulations. Thank you. You have a kid. So, just as a reminder to listeners, you're from Canada, eh? Yes. And you were a doula. And then you said, I got to get deeper into the action, started training as a midwife. But yeah. you started your caring for children when your parents had four other kids. Yeah. Exactly. After you. You're the yeah. first of five. Yeah. And I think the last time we talked to you, you're 39 weeks. Wow. Pregnant. Wow. Feels like just yesterday and also a lifetime ago. I can imagine it moves very fast and very slow. Mm -hmm. You had a suspiciously wonderful pregnancy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know how you did it, but your back pain went away and you had midwifery care and we're planning to deliver at home Mm -hmm. with a midwife, midwife assistant, doula slash photographer and two out of your four dogs because the big ones are too nervous. Yep. And last, but certainly not least, your partner. You're doing this all from memory, right? Total memory, yeah. I I remember every detail. I do remember our predictions, but I'll get to them at the end. Okay, let's talk about the end of your pregnancy. It was 39 weeks. Uh, How long did you end up going? Um, I went to 41 weeks when I started labor for the first time. Okay, so I was wrong on that prediction. Uh, (laughs) Labor for the first time? Yeah. I mean, that's a can of worms. Well, let's start with yeah. the first time. What did yeah. you experience? So the evening that I was 41 weeks, around 11 p.m., I started contracting. And they were pretty, you know, significant. It kind of started with a bang. And they were happening every five minutes or so, lasting for about a minute. They were intense enough that I had to, like, you know, vocalize and ambulate to get through them. Not enough that I needed my husband to be awake with me. but they were happening and I was under the impression that this was happening and I was, this was it. What was your vocalization of choice? Um, a lot of kind of like open jaw groans. 
Open drug running. Lower yeah. register? Yes, certainly. Lower. Lower, okay. yeah. yeah. Okay. And you thought this was it? I thought this was it. Because it it's 41 weeks. You know, in the more holistic the world, I guess it's always a personal choice. Had you been checking your cervix? Um, yes. After about at 39 and 5, we started checking. I still couldn't reach by that point, but Alex could, and I was about one. So there wasn't a lot happening. And he was still, we know the sex now. He was oh. still really high too so that thing i was wrong on two predictions (laughs) um so that kind of made us kind of want to nudge things a little bit in the direction of the baby being born because it didn't really look like he was coming anytime soon based on what was going on in my body so lots of herbs happen lots of you know curb walking some mild circuits so just gentle gradual nudges to guide him in the direction of out of my body Herbs, like there's so many different kinds of herbs. Yeah. Genre herbs. Blue and black cohosh mm-hmm. and cotton root. Oh. Yeah. And then I, you know, I did the. So um, soft and fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. They were quite nice. <laughs> um, you know, I was doing acupuncture, some moxibustion, all of the things to kind of. Get it rolling. Get it rolling. Yeah. How was curb walking for you? Did you feel like it was productive? Was it weird to do? I don't know. I got to really know all of the varieties of curbs in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, it was fine. I felt kind of ridiculous doing it, but I was hoping that people looking at me were like, oh, I know what she's up to. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. Yeah. So there was no catalyst. And of course, there never really is a catalyst. It was just nudges. Okay. So nudges. And then you said, what else? You did the herbs and you did the curb walking and yeah. the other nudges? Smile circuit. Okay. Which is like a series of three exercises that are supposed to kind of encourage babes to get into the most optimal position. And position was a big thing that I focused on throughout pregnancy. So I did receive chiropractic care, as you know, and I never like was on a recline. I always kind of sat upright, lots of sitting on the ball just to make sure that, you know, he didn't get OP and that he was ideally left occiput anterior, which he was for the entire duration of my pregnancy but spoiler alert not for the birth oh no yeah (laughs) oh no okay so you're doing all this mild circuit which three exercises um so there's an exaggerated sideline which i did with a peanut ball and then there's like open knee chest so you're kind of like chest to the floor and butt in the air and then I have mom brain. What's the last one? Oh, and then the last one is just kind of sitting on the ball. And you kind of go through each of those things for about 30 minutes each. So I was doing that, you know, a few times a day. You know, it's really weird. What? I think I have mom brain. Really? Yeah. It might be contagious. It could be like an occupational hazard, like a very high exposure to (laughs) all those hormones that you guys pump. Okay. So it started with a bang and then... And then, you know, it went through the night. So from about 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., it was going. And then as the sun started to come up, it started to taper and slow down and get a little bit slower, farther apart, less intense. And it probably didn't fully stop until like 2 p.m. or so. And then I went into the OB's office to have a non-stress test done just to check on babe. And that was already scheduled. That wasn't tied to the labor that had happened. How was your non-stress test? 
It was great. Was it non-stressful? It was non-stressful. It was nice to hear the babe and, you know, I got proud that he scored really well on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Proud mom. Gold star. Already testing him. Yeah. Already putting him to the test, but he did great. And that also gave me reassurance, not that I had doubts, but reassurance that he would tolerate labor. Okay. Yeah. And was the doctor concerned at all with you being (laughs) fairly over your due date? No, but she was happy that we were trying to get him. Nudging. Did she have any additional sources of nudge? She did do a membrane sweep, which is intense. And who knows what it did because Thursday night, that night, we started again almost immediately after I got home. Oh, really? Okay. Your membrane sweep was intense. Like, can you describe the intensity? It was just evasive and uncomfortable, you know, and I have done them before too. So, you know, you're trying to kind of really get in there. So I don't think they're ever supposed to be really that comfortable. That amazing. Nobody goes to Burke Williams and they're like, hey, can I get the membranes? (laughs) Treatment. (laughs) Were you still one centimeter then? I was about two, like one and a half to two. So, you know, I was excited about that because, you know, this eight hours plus of contracting had produced some cervical change. So I was off to the races and happy. Okay. Then you get home and it's on again. Yeah. What time of night is this? We got home, we had dinner, and then it kind of started right after that. So probably like 6 p.m. And it was kind of like a gradual build. And it was like, again, like enough that I was, you know, vocalizing and moving. And I just told my husband, though, to go to bed because it was, you know, nothing to write home about just yet. And because the night before we had both been up quite a bit for this chapter of the labor, because I was so tired from the night before, I was able to sleep in between contractions. So I would like lay down in my bed, fall asleep, and then spring up and start rocking and rolling and then get through it and then go back to sleep, which was something. Do those little <laughs> rapid chargers actually give you energy or are they more annoying because you, you get know, woken up every four minutes? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it was helpful. Like I did it for the rest of the night. It did feel a little bit different. Like on the evening before, like as I knew they were coming, as they were starting to build, you know, I would start like getting into my groove and swaying and kind of gently go into them. Whereas Thursday it was like, hello, like I was springing out of bed needing to move immediately. Mm, I could see your eyes just pop open yeah. fully. Yeah. Um, I have a really important question. What'd you have for dinner? I don't remember. Oh, so important. Don't remember. I can get back to you on that. My husband. It's okay. Uh, (laughs) It's a blur. At this point, it's always weird to watch somebody who has experience as a doula playing the role of midwife, you know, be on the other side of the table, the other side of the sofa, the other side of the birth pool. You get it. At this point, is there any of that going through your head? Like your experiences as a provider while you're the client? Yeah, I think, you know, knowing that this is prodromal labor, hey, this sometimes happens. Hey, you know, these might not be producing cervical change, but maybe they're bringing the baby down. Maybe they're facing you like none of this is for nothing. Like I really had to remind myself as I was going on, you know, like hour 16 of labor that was intense enough to 
need to actively cope to get through it, but that I knew it wasn't time for me to call the doula or the midwife. I knew we had a long way to go still. Huh. Okay. Yeah. But the doula and the midwife were already there with you. No, in my heart, yes, but they were not at I, home. I just mean you. Oh, See yeah. what I did there? Okay. I get it. I feel like it's an awesome time for a break. And when we come back, we'll find out what happens next. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered... Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. <laughs> Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm talking about Kaylee Harrigan. And first, there was a night of labor that turned out to be not really labor. Then you get a check with the doctor. NST's all good. Membrane sweep. Go home. Have mystery dinner. <laughs> and then labor starts again, and you're laboring all night. But this time, more of a pop with each surge. Okay, what happens next? And then the sun comes up. And same thing as the day before, things start to kind of taper off, but they're still there a little bit, but it's, you know, it's going away. It feels like I had just repeated the night before with a little bit more sleep the second time. So then I was really hoping that they had produced cervical change. You know, I was able to kind of talk myself off the ledge, you know, prodromal labor is not for nothing, blah, blah, blah. And then Friday morning, I was like, I better be dilated. And so I could check myself at that point though. So, you know, there was change. He did come down. I was able to touch his head, which was so cool. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And I was four. So then oh. I, yeah. So something had happened. So I was elated and I got on the phone immediately and called Alex, my midwife and said, Alex, I'm taking castor oil. We're getting this show on the boat. Wait a second. But at this point, are any of the dogs around you? That's a good question. I think on Thursday after the night of labor, he brought the two big dogs to the sitters and the one dog, Frida, never left my side for the entire thing. No, and Frida's the doula dog. She's the doula dog. Every single photo from the labor, but it's like, find Frida. She's in there somewhere. <laughs> photo bomb Frida. Yeah. And then even now she doesn't let the baby go out of her sight. How old is Frida? We think she's like maybe four, but oh, um, young. She, she, what breed is Freed? She's a Chihuahua pug. Oh, yeah, Chihuahua Pugawa. Uh, oh, yeah, oh. I didn't know her story when we applied to adopt her, but she was actually a homeless dog and had puppies on the streets. 
So, oh, wow. yeah. So I feel like Frida wow. right now is like reliving or like reclaiming her postpartum experience and she is just basking in it and loving it. Wow. That's such a cool story. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And you have a cool story too. So you make the phone call. We're darn it. Taking this castor oil. Did you take the castor? Alex said, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm also telling you what to do. Do not take castor oil. This oh. labor is coming. And I'm really happy that she said that because by about 1 p.m., it had started again. And this obviously the sun was up. It wasn't like this nighttime thing that it had been the days before. And it was probably more intense than both of the other nights. And, you know, as time went on, I needed my husband to double hip squeeze, which was something new. Like I needed a support person to get through them. But I was elated. I was so, so happy because this is what I wanted and this is what needed to happen. If you remember, were you feeling the surges more in the front or in the back or both? Completely in the front. Super localized sensation in the front. And it also felt like a small portion. And this was refreshing. I think labor hurt less than I thought it would. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it was very painful. It was the most intense sensations I had ever felt. But, you know, eventually I got a little bit floaty and the endorphins kicked in and, you know, there was that medicine there. And I, I had a good time, dare I say it. Really? Yeah. You're, you're enjoying the uh, ride? I think so. Yeah. I'd do it again. So does that mean, because you said it was also intense and painful. So was it pain and pleasure at the same time? Yeah. I think so. And if you ask me right now to like, remember exactly how it felt though, I cannot like put my finger on it. It's weird. So there's a little bit of birth amnesia there, but I cannot put into words exactly the sensations. I'll have to ask Alex. Yeah. Alex isn't there yet. (laughs) Oh, so I have to ask your husband or Frida. (laughs) Ask Frida. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you're having a good time. You feel yourself uh, progressing. It's intense, but oh, that's another interesting point, though, is that as it progressed, it became, even though more intense, more tolerable at the same yeah, time. Yeah, certainly. All yeah. right, what happens next? And so by about six, my husband's arms were noodles, and we had the doula come over to, you know, give him a little break. And also, you know, it seemed things were going. So contractions were maybe every two to three minutes lasting for about a minute and a half. And as soon as the doula got there, it seemed like it got even more intense. And I think within about an hour, she said, I think it's time that we call the midwives and they got there, you know, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes later. And at that point I asked to be checked and I was still four centimeters. No. I wasn't defeated in that moment, though, because I like, this is true labor. It's not going to stop. There's no way this is going to stop. A moving train. Right. It was a moving train. There was no stopping it. And so Alex sent my husband to bed because he had been working hard for a long time. And this is where things kind of get blurry. I remember being in my bed. I remember being in my bathtub, in my shower, in my living room. I remember like feeling like kind of like an out of body experience, which was quite cool. And like minor, mild visuals if my eyes were closed. So it was kind of psychedelic. It was cool. It was all the good things that you hear about labor. I I feel like I was able to experience. Well, that's Um, awesome. Were you then not really aware of time? No, time had no meaning. Yeah. And just like, you know, the postpartum season has been long and short. That's kind of how labor felt as well. Long and short. Yeah. Long and short of it. 
Yeah. That check happened at about 6.30 going back to time. And so it's 24 hours after you really started your second set of labor. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a break before your third set started in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. And then by nine or so, I asked Alex to check me again. They were probably like every minute, still a minute and a half. Very, very intense. I was seven. So great. Oh. Things had changed in a relatively short amount of time for someone who was having their first baby. So again, delighted to hear that. And then maybe an hour later, it was the uncontrollable urge to bear down. It was like the baby is coming out, going back to the freight train thing. It was like, this child is coming. So I said, do you want me to check you just to confirm there's no lip or there's no, you know, cervix left at all? And I said, yes. And I was only eight. With this urge to push. Yeah. Wow. That could yeah. be tricky. That was really tricky. And then she also said, I think that he is asynclitic and I think that he is OP. Let's break this down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Urge to push in your eight. So yeah. the concern there is what, that you still have cervix that's in the way, but yeah. you're pushing against it. Yeah. And then it will swell up and start to close. Exactly. Problem number one. Problem number yeah. two, asynclitic <laughs> yeah. means not quite lined up with the runway. Yeah. So that a lot of the intensity pushing down isn't really making forward progress. It's kind of pushing into something else. Yeah. And then OP is yeah. where the baby's occiput, the bone in the back of the head, the back of the skull, is P against the posterior surface of your body. So against your back. So the baby's hard part of the skull is against your hard pelvis. Yeah. And harder to move down, right? If the hard part of the skull is against the fleshy part of your belly, it's easier to wiggle through. Okay, yeah. so three conundrums. Three conundrums. So I, there was a little bit of defeat there. Those are, you know, three things you'd never really want to have happen. And there they all were presenting together. Yeah. But, you know, we just got to keep going. We've got to get the baby out. So we continued. Did the midwives have any recommendations on how to handle any yeah. of those three issues? So we continued on our course and we put me into some weird positions to try and help him rotate. So like very exaggerated on the peanut ball. And at this point, this is when I became aware of time. Like it was like, okay, let's do seven contractions on the left and then seven surges on the right. And I was counting the seconds because to try not to push, it felt like I was like, had to vomit from my butt. And you know how it feels when you have to throw up. Like there's, you can't, you, stop it. To, you can't stop it. So trying to blow out the candles and cope with that sensation was a lot. That was the most unpleasant part of the entire experience. At this point, I stopped having a fun time. <laughs> no more trippy psychedelic uh, no, orgasmic no. And, high. Yeah. And now it felt <laughs> like, oh, this isn't great. So that was about... 10 p.m. when that happened and I asked Alex to check me at 12 same thing nothing had changed so we kept doing different weird positions trying to get my butt way high in the air to kind of get the pressure off of my cervix to kind of reduce the urge to push nothing seemed to really help you know I got in the birth tub that helped a little bit but again it was it helped with the urge to push or it helped with the intensity a little bit, uh, most of the intensity, the urge to push never really subsided at all, unfortunately. And then at about 2.30, she checked again and 
I could just see on her face that nothing had changed. And in that moment, I said, I'm calling it. This baby's not coming out at home. Oh, boy. We better take yeah. a break. Yeah. <laughs> that is, I need a break at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back to find out what happens next. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm talking to Kaylee Harrigan. Oi, we went from a very trippy, psychedelic, levy, earthy, birthy experience with, you know, slow progress, but slow and steady until three things hit you. The constant urge to push against your cervix that was not fully dilated and posterior baby that is not lined up well with a runway asynclitic. And after hours and hours, you are not making forward progress and you're ready to throw in the towel. Yeah. What does that mean for you? It means I'm getting in the car and I'm going to get an epidural. When I was trying not to push, I could feel myself clamming. I could feel there was no relaxation. There was no softness in my body at all. It was just tension. And I was grateful that we have access to these tools like epidurals, because sometimes that's just what it takes to have someone kind of let go, soften, relax, and release. So that's what we did. I do remember I only had two contractions in the car in the 12 minute drive. So I was here again, I'm aware of time. And you know, my husband had to drop me off at the emergency room and then go park the car. And this is kind of a funny story. This is something I kind of look back at and laugh. And this man who was wheeling me up to L and D, I swear it was his first day. He was wearing an entire bottle of cologne. Oh no. Managed to hit every single bump and every like elevator doors (laughs) were closing on me. Like he had to like take a run at it to get over the little like bump in the road. I was like, sir, I can walk, <laughs> but no, I had to they already have a bump. Yeah, Right. <laughs> so oh, there's a little comic relief in that. That was probably, you know, <laughs> you know, a funny part in hindsight. So we get to L and D, you know, I go on the monitors. Here's another side note. The nurse was having a hard time finding the baby, the baby's heart. It probably took her 25 minutes to find the heartbeat, but I was able to feel the baby. So I wasn't even concerned and I wasn't paying attention to what was going on. But meanwhile, my doula and husband are sitting here with this nurse unable to find the baby. So they were freaking out, but I... You could feel the movements. Yeah, I had the consciousness to know he was there, but didn't share with them that knowledge because it wasn't even crossing my mind. So Ah. yeah, that happened. And so from... When I got to the hospital, I think it was about three, the epidural finally came at 5 a.m. Why the two-hour delay? 
I don't know. Um, and that whole time you still had the urge to push and you're still yeah. having the intense. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, but now he's in this crummy hospital bed, but mm. so be it, you know, the epidural came, it felt like I was at the dentist, very tingly. And then I told everyone I was going to sleep and I would see them soon. And that's just what I did. And, you know, oftentimes that's just what you need. Just a little nap, a little recharge, a little relaxation. And the baby comes out. Um, at 1 PM, we checked eight centimeters. Nothing had changed. So at this point in time, I'm like, okay, I've surrendered to, you know, the change in plans from the home birth. Now do I surrender to having a cesarean birth? Because, you know, we were exhausting all of the options and it didn't really seem like anything was happening. And the OB said, we're not calling it yet. And I said, can I have a little bit of Pitocin? And she said, I think that's a great idea. So let's get these contractions even stronger and see if we can give baby a little extra oomph to, you know, corkscrew down and out. So that's what we did. I decided I would go back to sleep and turn my brain off. And at about 4.30, we checked again and I was nine centimeters and he was LOA. So there was, yeah, he was in the perfect position. He was lined up. So I was delighted and okay, we'll just continue to hurry up and wait. And you didn't have the urge to push anymore because you had the epidural. Right. With the epidural, that that sensation completely. All three of your obstacles are out of the way. Yeah. Yes. And so Obi leaves the room, kind of roll onto my back. I had been alternating, still using the peanut ball, switching side to side. And there was that urge to push again, but I was okay with that because I had just been nine centimeters and so like get her back and Uh it had been about yeah one contraction since she had last checked and I was in fact complete oh wow Um, makes a big difference when you're lined up with the runway and not against the bone on bone yeah oh wow that's amazing okay yeah and the pressure was definitely there and I could almost like ask well I'm getting ahead of myself but I had a really good epidural that I was still able to feel a lot of things without intense discomfort. Okay. Um, so for so, you the best of both worlds then? Yeah. Yeah. Like some active participation and mm-hmm. sensation but enough to help you loosen up and relax. Yeah. And so at 4.44, we started to push, which interestingly is like when my wedding video accidentally starts. So it just seems like (laughs) a special time for us. And that was, you know, completely random that that had happened and started pushing. I was sidelined. The OB suggested that we do a tug of war after about, you know, maybe 10 pushes or so. And that felt really good and helped me really kind of hone and like channel all my energy down. You're pulling out a sheet? Or something like that? It was smaller than a sheet. I don't know what. Rebozo? It wasn't a rebozo. No. I had my rebozo with me and wanted to include it in the labor, but. So it's something in between a sheet and a rebozo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing the tug of war. She's like, why don't you try rolling onto your back? And I'll go, okay. Last time I rolled onto my back, I was complete. So (laughs) rolled onto my back and within one push, my child was born. So it went, wow. from, yeah, it went from nothing, like maybe a little bit of a head was visible, like keyhole, but we were supposed to call the NICU because there was meconium. Um, she didn't, you know, suit up and put her splash guard gear on. No one thought the baby was coming out, but then the that baby quickly. launched out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what was that like for you? The moment the baby came out? 
it was so cool to feel him rotate, like do the cardinal movements. And then she kind of like held him out. So I was able to grab underneath his arms and pull him up onto my chest. And I was able to see that he had a penis and tell my husband that he had a penis. Um, Yeah. And it was the most delightful thing I've ever felt. It was, yeah, it was completely magical. And after a few seconds, I could see like he wasn't coming into his body completely. And so I was, you know, kind of like stimulating him, like rubbing his back, rubbing his feet, talking to him, letting him know like, hey, you're here, you're safe, we're so happy, we're so grateful to meet you, which was cool. It felt like I was still an active participant, you know, and then I could see he was flaring his nostrils a bit and like grunting a bit and he was having retractions at his chest, which are all things that suggest that the baby isn't breathing as effectively as they could be. So then I was able to kind of lift him up and turn him to do postural drainage to help kind of have the fluid that was built up in his lungs kind of drain and release. So I, yeah, I felt like I was there with him and it felt like my midwifery skills, I was doing them on my own baby, which was really kind of cool. Yeah. And I think it was nice for him to have someone familiar kind of helping him through this kind of assumingly scary, scary movie um, moments. Yeah. Could be a movie one day. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. What a journey. I have a few questions here. Yeah. Number one, were you prepared from the beginning for the fact, I know you had a backup doctor, so you're prepared at some level for the fact that maybe, you know, as my dream is to have this baby, my preference is to have the baby at home, but if I need to go to the hospital, I'll go. If I need intervention A, B, or C, I'll get it. If I need intervention C specifically, I'll get it. Was that your mindset from the beginning? It was something I had to work on and work through the entire pregnancy. In the beginning, I was kind of like home birth or die. And I know that that's not realistic. We can influence birth, but we can't control it. And that's something that I will often share with my clients. So I had to really kind of process and go through the possibility of him not coming out at home. And interestingly, anytime I would imagine or visualize the birth, I couldn't see which room in my house he was born in. I couldn't see what position I was in. I could never see the birth happening at home. But that being said, I could never see the birth happening in the hospital either. But that was something that I was aware of. And I had packed a hospital bag, not you know, I was like, am I manifesting? And I was like, no, I'm just prepared. So it came up a lot throughout the pregnancy. Your mom and I predicted you would have a girl Mm -hmm. and your husband was like dreaming of having a girl. Yeah. So obviously we were all misdirected to your next pregnancy, I suppose. Right. Right. Uh, Because you have a boy. I predicted eight and a half pounds. Yeah, he was seven eleven, okay, so smaller than everyone. Smaller than I thought, even though it was later than I thought, because I thought you'd go to just forty in a few days. But your actual birth was forty one in a few days. Yeah, forty one in three or four. Yeah, it was yeah. off by a week. Yeah. Well, I'll keep working on my tarot cards. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> yeah, I don't plan to. You know, a lot of angry people if I do that. <laughs> Yeah. So my last two questions are this number one, going through the experience personally and quite an experience. Do you feel like that changed you at all as a budding midwife? Hmm. 
That's a good question. Throughout the entire experience, I felt so cared for and held and supported. And I really hope that that's something that I can provide for my own clients. I hope that I can make people feel the way that I did, not only prenatally, but in the birth as well. And my last question is, in your pregnancy with a girl coming up, are there any things you would do differently for birth? I don't think so. Maybe I would let go of trying to do all of the things to achieve the birth of my dreams because it didn't really work. Or maybe was this the birth of my dreams too? I don't know if I might feel more badass having, you know, had kind of a a tumultuous labor versus like, oh, I labored for 12 hours and my baby came out. I I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. It's something I'm kind of processing and working through. And also it's not like it didn't work, meaning you didn't have the baby at home. Right. But all that work that you did to get the baby, you know, down and then going in and being able to relax, like that takes strength and courage too, to Mm -hmm. say, I want to be here, but I know that I'm not going to be able to stop pushing this baby in the wrong position. So I need that epidural and then having the strength to get it and and trusting that it's going to work, like not being mad at the epidural because you had to get it. I really think stories like yours, which I see a good number of them, everyone's totally unique and Mm I see inspiration in all of them. And Mm -hmm. I think that one of the cool things that you mentioned is something that I try to impress on my patients as well during pregnancy, which is that I don't think there's one intervention that is bad. I think they're all incredibly good if they're used in a way that is going to be sparing, meaning not pushed on you when you don't want it and don't need it. So if, you know, the only thing worse than someone who's forced in my mind and forced into a C-section that they didn't want or didn't need is somebody who needed one and didn't have access to it. Right. Certainly. So, yeah, I think it's like a great demonstration of the fact that you had that weird thing where your just body is telling you push, 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 and you can't mm-hmm. let go, but it's not time to push it and you're not in a good position yet. And that epidural really helped you out. Mm-hmm. And a patient doctor. And a patient doctor. Yeah. He said, we're not calling this yet. We can right. do this. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I really had a team who believed in me and that, you know, went a long way. I believed in you. I was just home sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Kaylee, any final thoughts about your journey? I don't think so. I can't believe I didn't cry. Oh, I'm a terrible host. I should be able to <laughs> be able to move you better than that. Yeah. I was actually almost this close to tears actually at points in your story. So I had to mute my microphone to sniffle. Mm. Anyway, you're an amazing human. I'm so grateful to the universe for bringing you into my life for just a little moment there and to have a a tiny uh, role in your journey to help you at least get comfortable and somewhat prepared for your birth in terms of your body function. And, you know, I'll always be here for you, even in between now and your baby girl pregnancy, but certainly (laughs) then. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, hashtag mutual. Where can we find you online? On Instagram, my handle is mothership underscore birth, and that will have all of the the links to my website and things like that. I will find you there. And we are on Instagram as well at Dr. Berlin. It's D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. I got a whole lot of questions for you. 
This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.